I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4, 14 through 17. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me, more, sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts, but I desire is that more be credited to your account. Good evening. You wonder what goes through people's minds sometimes. I don't mind telling you every now and again what goes through mine. There were three steps back in Georgia where I preached, and every week I thought, one of these days, one of these days. I see these and I'm thinking, one of these days. I know what's going to happen. You're going to laugh. No, you're going to gasp. Then you're going to see if I'm all right. Then we're all going to laugh about it. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I feel certain one day it will. Philippians chapter 4, are you there this evening? That's where we'll be in these next three verses, talking about Paul's perspective. Paul has shared his perspective, his inspired perspective. I should say that if I haven't. This is inspired perspective on a great many topics. And he has talked about them, and he has said, effectively, this is what it's done for me, or this is how I've perceived it. And we began back in chapter 1 with Paul noting that with regards to his suffering, and he did suffer. You could read that in Acts 16. He was beaten. He was thrown in the prison, and we find him praying and singing about midnight. So it's not surprising that he says in verses 12 to 14 that the things that have happened unto me in this suffering, it's happened to the furtherance of the gospel. That's how he sees it. And in fact, he goes further and say, these things actually have helped the brethren, that my suffering and the way we responded has strengthened the brethren and emboldened them. In the very next section, verses 15, 16, and 17 of chapter 1, he says, there are people trying to do me harm. Now, it's kind of amazing that he's already in prison, and there are people who want him to suffer more. And so Paul says, they're trying to get me and make things worse for me, even though I'm already in prison. How do you see them, Paul? He says, listen, they preach the gospel, some of them of envy and strife, and some of them not sincerely, others sincere, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. But nevertheless, he says, Christ is preached, and I rejoice. That's his perspective. Secondly, or thirdly, in this same chapter, verses 20 and 21, he gives his perspective on living and dying. And Paul says, listen, I'm in a straight betwixt two, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says with regards to his death, it would be a blessing to him, and yet it's needful for him to stay so that he could benefit the brethren in Philippi. Well, we've gone through a great many of those perspectives, as Paul has shared, and as we get near the end of the book, Paul talks about giving. He talks about giving and receiving, and his perspective is consistent. It's spiritual in nature. It is also optimistic. Again, even in this, Paul sees the good. It's hopeful in that he is always looking upward toward heaven, toward Christ, toward the Father. It's factual, supported by truth, and he will say as much. And ultimately, it's a very mature perspective. It's not typical. In fact, I don't know how you personally see giving. And I'm not talking about giving time and energy, although those are necessary. Paul's talking about money. 
How do you view being able to give money to the cause of the Lord and to the preaching of the gospel? I can tell you how Paul sees it. Paul's perspective is giving is a blessing. And he talks about that with regards to the Philippians. The subject of giving is really a huge topic in Scripture. It's primarily the case because God is such a generous and great giver. Just a cursory look at the things that God has given or just some of them would help us appreciate what a generous giver God is. For instance, God gave the world. You could start there. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Acts 17.25, God that made the world, verse 24, all things that are therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not dwell in temples made by hand. He doesn't need anything. He giveth to all life. He's given us that. He's given us the home, marriage, the church. He's given his word, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's God-breathed. He's given his son, John 3, 16. In fact, that's how it's couched. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15, and he says, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. In Romans chapter 8, he refers to God giving Jesus as he did not withhold his only begotten son. He gave his spirit, 1 Corinthians 2, 8 to 13. We know the things that we know because the spirit revealed them unto us. John 13, 14, 15, 16, he talks about the Spirit coming to guide the apostles into all truth. Joel's quoted in Acts chapter 2 as the Spirit being given. Jesus gave. It wasn't just the Father. That's just a cursory look at the Father's gifts. But Jesus gave. He gave up heaven. That's how it's couched. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, Jesus prays to the Father for the glory that he had before the world began. He often spoke of coming down from heaven. Having come down from heaven, Jesus took on the human nature. John chapter 1 and verse 14, the Word was made flesh. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, he took on flesh and became a servant. But now that he was here, Jesus didn't just give up heaven. Jesus gave his life, quite literally, for others. John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus said, no man takes it from me. I lay it down. I have power to take it again. He gave his life freely. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9 in a section of giving, actually, in a discussion there, chapters 8 and chapter 9. Of Jesus, he says this, as he exhorts the Corinthian brethren to join in and follow through on their pledge to give. He says in verse number 9 of chapter 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus then, not surprisingly, taught men to give. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In fact, it's so important that he addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount. The first time he addressed humanity, he addressed giving. He addressed the subject of money. Matthew 6, 19 to 25, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, and moth and rust doth corrupt, but thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and thieves do not break through and steal. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The honest thing about money is this, there may be no quicker, clearer indicator of where our hearts are than what we do with and where we put our money. 
It's true because of what's involved in acquiring money legally. Getting money takes energy. You have to work for it. You have to labor for it. All the things that go into that labor. Secondly, getting money takes knowledge. We invest skills. We increase our knowledge. It demands our effort and our focus and our discipline. And then getting money ultimately takes our time. We have to go spend our time to make money. In fact, it's really a pretty good way of thinking about it. You're exchanging one currency for another. You're spending your time to acquire money. One of the definitions I've heard about time, one man said, time is life. That pretty is a pretty good summation of what's involved in taking or getting money. It really does involve your life. It involves your energy. It involves your time. It involves your effort. And where we spend that, it's no wonder Jesus says, that is where your heart is. What we value then is represented by our money and what we spend it and use it and give it to for all that it took to acquire it. Paul says here in chapter 4, with regards to their giving to him, he says, you're sharing to me. It was a benefit to me, but he says it ultimately was a blessing for you. Point number one is this. The support of preaching the gospel blesses those who participate in this grace. It blesses them spiritually. Go back to chapter 1 in the book of Philippians and notice what Paul says. Now, I don't know how many times in this series I've referenced 12 to 14 with regards to Paul's outlook of his suffering. But notice what he says earlier in this chapter. In verse number 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy, my every prayer for you all. Verse number five, he says, in view of your participation, your fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now, that's what he's talking about in chapter four. They've been his helper. They've been participating. They've been sharing, giving, he says. In verse number six, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you and all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of this grace with me. They have been blessed spiritually by way of their participation in the work with the Apostle Paul. That's what he says in chapter 4 and verse 14. He says, nevertheless, you have done well in that you have shared with me in your affliction. You have done well. You gave and you received. It's one of the greatest uses we can do with our money is to give it into and share in the support and the work of God. Paul says, you have sent gifts to my needs. They were thoughtful about that, compassionate about that. They performed it. They actually did it. A note from our reading of the gospel. If you have been reading through the gospel accounts, one of the things that is helpful when you read it in those wide swaths is how much of Jesus his life and action you get to read. 
And he is so noteworthy as he moves throughout his life and throughout this. And as we were reading through the book of Luke, this just caught my eye. It's Luke 21, beginning in verse number 1. And one of the things that's noteworthy about our Savior is how observant he was. He, he didn't go and live life with tunnel vision and nothing else around him. He didn't notice anybody or see anything. It's noteworthy when Scripture says, and Jesus watched, or Jesus observed, or Jesus noted. There's passages like that, and this is one of them. In Luke 21, something is happening, and it apparently catches the Lord's eye, if you will. The Bible says, and he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. Now, if you just pause there for a moment and just try to set the scene, I don't know what the Savior was doing one way or the other, but I know what's happening around him is there is apparently an area where people can contribute. And as he's there, standing, sitting, I don't know, as they're doing that, he notices. And he looked up. And he saw. Bible tells us he took enough time to turn, pay attention to it, focus on it. And then he didn't just see it, he assessed it. And then he drew a conclusion about the events and he shared them. The Bible says, and he said, speaking of what he saw, he said, of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in more than they all, for all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her punery hath cast in all the living that she had. It's not the case that he said much more about that. But it's noteworthy that Jesus watched people give, assessed it, and then drew a conclusion about it and shared it with his apostles and ultimately with us. It certainly says he's doing the exact same thing as we give and as we share and as we participate. Paul says with regards to the Philippians, the support of preaching the gospel, he says you did well in doing that. Secondly, he says the blessings come to those who actually do it. It's not simply a matter of going through the motions or talking. It's not like as he addresses the Corinthian brethren, he says, you pledged a year ago. Now, he says, perform the doing. What's noteworthy about the Philippian brethren is they actually did it. Notice what he says in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. What's noteworthy about the brethren is they followed through. They actually did it. It didn't matter also what other people did. They didn't need to know, is somebody else giving before I give? They didn't need to know that. In fact, it bothered them none. Paul says, you know nobody else did. In fact, what that means is they were needed because nobody else did. He said, nobody else did, but you did. 
The position of Scripture on giving really boils down to something like this. Do what you can with what you have. That's pretty much the position. There's not going to be a set number or a set item or a set, that's not going to happen. But if there first be a willing heart, it's accepted, Paul says. And if you are willing then and you have the capacity and the ability, do out of that. But sometimes people trip themselves up by saying, if I had more, I think that's the Lord's point about the widow. The amount she had, Jesus said, it was punery compared to the rich. And yet he left saying, and she gave more. I don't know who I first heard it, but there was a, you know what happens when you get older? <laughs> you do know, don't you? For those of you who are, you understand. For those of you who are not, keep living. It'll happen. <laughs> Maybe not when you're publicly speaking. Maybe not, but it does happen. I can't remember that, so I'm not going to try. Do what you can with what you have, where you are. That's the Bible's position. The other thing with regards to the, Corinthian, uh, the Philippians is they were consistent. Notice verse 16. He says, you gave more than once for my needs. They participated, they shared, they were consistent. It didn't matter what others did. They were willing. Paul then talks about two things in verse 17, the first part and the second part of the verse, and Paul's motivation is pure when he talks about money. Sometimes, I suppose, we might not talk about it because we wouldn't want to give people the wrong impression or maybe suggest that somehow we're trying to take people's money. It's nothing like that. Paul's, Paul's motivation in talking about this is pure, and he will say as much. Notice the first half of verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift itself. That's not what this is about. He's already addressed where he is in his life with regards to contentment. Go back to verse 11. He said this earlier, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. And he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to get along in prosperity. And in every circumstance, he says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, had both of having abundance and suffering need. As, the, as one who has already heard and learned those things, when he gets here, he can honestly say, I'm not seeking the gift itself. Though he is not seeking the gift, Scripture makes it abundantly clear he did have a right. Luke chapter 10 and verse 7, the Lord said the labor is worthy of his hire. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10, Paul says the same thing there. The labor is worthy of his hire. Paul is not speaking from a place of want. He's not seeking the gift. And if that's true and since that's true, well then what's his motivation? Why is he talking about giving and receiving? He explains it in the very second part of that verse. Notice his perspective. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul actually says, I'm talking about this for your good. This is something that will benefit you. You need to participate in this. It will bless your life. Faithfulness is counted 
in that way. It's likened often to riches and banking terms. We talk, Matthew 6, 19 to 25, about laying up treasures in heaven. That's the way the Scripture couches it. Mark 10, 20 to 22, same thing with regards to that young man who didn't want to give up his property. Jesus told him, I'll give you treasures in heaven if you'll give up your treasures on earth. Notice some other renderings of this passage. One rendering says, I'm not trying to get something from you, but I want you to receive the blessing that comes from giving. Another says, really, it's not that I want to get gifts from you, but I want you to have the benefit that comes from giving. Finally, one says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The teaching of Scripture is giving is a blessing, and the one who participates is blessed in that process. Again, Jesus said, more blessed to give than to receive. In Ephesians 4 and verse 28, we're to labor and work with our hands that we might have to give. The Macedonian brethren are quite an example of what this looks like. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and listen to what Paul says with regards to them. And notice also that, again, the amount one has is not what's important or what's in question. Paul says to the brethren in Corinth with regards to the brethren in Macedonia, He says, now, brethren, we wish to make you known about the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that, number one, in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability— And beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Giving is always of one's own accord. He says, they begged us, verse number four, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. What phraseology. Begging us to participate in in the support of the saints. Why were they so successful? Verse number five says, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The participation, the willingness to give is a blessing to the individual who participates. My ability to support and work is connected to my ability to be content. Paul says, I've learned to be content. The more I learn to be content, the more I can give to God and his cause. The more I can do without myself, the more I can give to him and to his purposes. And as Paul goes back and forth through this, he he makes the connection between he and the brethren in Philippi. You can see it beginning in verse 10 all the way down to where we just read in verse 17. 
Things said about Paul. Paul says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord. Verse 11, not that I speak from want. Verse 11, I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I know how to get along in humble means. Verse 12, I also know how to get along in prosperity. Verse 12, I have learned. Verse 13, I can do all things. Now, he turns then, and notice what he says to the Philippians. Of them, he says, your concern for me, verse 10. You lacked opportunity, verse 10. You have done well, verse 14. You yourselves know no one else participated, verse 15. You send gifts unto me once and again. And then verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit, which increases to your account. There is value, certainly, in the work of the Lord. And their giving blessed the Apostle Paul in his work. But also, and more than that, it blessed them in their participation of that work. The blessing is con consistent with the blessing he had been to them. In fact, again, that's kind of how Scripture couches it. Paul had been a blessing to the brethren in Philippi, and they in turn with their giving had blessed him. Notice it in a couple of passages and see this connection. Look over, first of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he talks, among other things, about this. But he says there in verse number 11, now he has just talked about the right that he has and others as gospel preachers to be supported. And Paul certainly was a missionary as well as a gospel preacher. But as he talks about that, he starts in about verse number, verse number seven following or verse number six. That's where he starts this section of the conversation. And he has just stated, verse nine, verse 10, that the one who plows should sow in hope and that God is more concerned for, he says that for us and not just for animals. But, but the way Paul couches it is this in verse number 11. If we, those who preach to them the gospel, have sowed spiritual things into you, is it too much if we reap your, some readings will say carnal things, your material things from you? He says the same thing in Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 6, Paul says, those who are taught in the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches them. The Scripture kind of suggests that you and I take an approach to spiritual things and monetize it by way of value that this spiritual benefit you've received, effectively, what's the worth of that to you? Because that's what you're giving. That's what it's reflecting. Suppose, if you will, I think we understand that in other areas of life. Suppose there was a profession that if you found yourself in a spot, a very tough spot, and you were possibly going to go to jail, prison. And there was a profession where an individual said, now listen, I will represent you, and I will come in there with you, and I will plead your case, and I will perform a, such a, a, a skill set for you that I can possibly and very likely get you not to go to prison. And then they said, Here's the bill. 
Now, if your freedom is on the line, I mean, I don't know. What's that worth to you? Suppose there was a profession that if you were sick and possibly going to succumb, there was a profession where an individual could say, listen, I have a particular set of skills that I could really help you with that, and if you follow this treatment, I could help you live. We have such professions. And generally speaking, while we may not be thrilled about it, we appreciate the skill set as such that, wow, that's worth. There is not really that kind of arrangement. Preaching and teaching the gospel doesn't really work like that. What I'm saying to you, though, is that's kind of how it's couched. Paul says, if we've sown to you spiritual things, is it strange that we would reap your carnal things? Suppose there's a profession that could help you with your eternal soul. Suppose the apostle Paul visited your city, and before he came, you didn't know Jesus. And Paul says, listen, I need you to help me go to the next city. That's kind of the way it's being couched. Now, listen, those other professions do it for them. But listen to what Paul said in the second part of verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but this will actually give treasures for you. I seek that to your good. Paul's point is, their giving had demonstrated their appreciation, their regard, their love, their joy, and not only did it help him, it ultimately blessed them. Nothing probably indicates so clearly where the heart is than where the money is. And God is the greatest giver there has ever been. Paul's perspective with regards to their giving and receiving is that it has been a blessing for you to participate in this. I certainly believe it to be the same for us. What a joy and privilege it is to participate, to share in the, the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might be the case that you're not a Christian tonight, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. You need, you need Jesus. It's not the case that you can just go along and get along without him. No, sir, no, ma'am. You need Jesus in your life. If you don't have him, there's no better time than to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ than right now. Would you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24? Would you change your heart and your mind and ultimately confess his name? And would you be immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? If you've never done that, you need to. If you are his child, what a great joy is ours to be his child. And what a great joy to emulate our Father, the Christ and the Spirit, in the generous heart and mind of giving and sharing to those who help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's cause is the greatest cause on the earth. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.